0: Welcome to Pure of Podcast. I'm Mike. And this is Orlando and we're on episode 200.5. Yeah, yeah. This is the second time that we're going at this for 200, which uh, I mean, that's kind of a, I mean, I guess that makes sense, right? Like such a big episode, you know, it, it makes sense we'd want to do it more than once. So if
1: you're wondering why we're sharing this, so there's about seven or eight of you that caught us live. We didn't know we were live. It was kind of interesting. And I'm here wondering, like, what is Mike doing? Why isn't Mike answering me back? And it's because Mike notices that we're live. So we try to keep it organic. And we, you know, we want to make sure that we go live when we're ready to go live. So, right. so appreciate all you guys that hopped on the live and congratulated us. We, <laughs> have, It was pretty awesome. So it, it's what
0: happened. So, by the way, it is 200 episodes. 200. That's right. That's great. So, 200 episodes in the bag. I mean, it's it's hard to two hundred two two hundred two technically, right? We we threw away a couple episodes. Yeah, the yeah. There's Could a throw couple. Away. The... Are they somewhere? No, they're nowhere. Are you uh, sure, they're, they're, they're just... gone forever because okay. uh, there was some major audio issues, technical stuff, uh, and we restarted. And and even even the first several episodes after that were a little rough. You know, even even after episode two, I thought by mm. four or five, we kept kind of were. You know it got a little bit better. We were vibing. Yeah, it got a little bit better. But you know, for all of you who've who've stuck with us for two hundred episodes, we really appreciate it. Uh, we only do what we do because of you, because you we have such an amazing uh, audience, uh, the, the And it's listeners. a community. Yeah, that's a, that's what I like is a community. And so part of that community has been,
1: all of you guys have been helping us with buymeacoffee.com slash purehustle. It's one of the new things that we've brought about in the last month and we appreciate all the support we've been getting. Because uh, again, we always want to provide this content for free because we understand that, hey, we all have this place where we are trying to build and scale. And sometimes the funds aren't there, but a lot of you have said, Hey, you've helped us out. We want to pay it forward and we want to become a member for $5 a month. And we really appreciate that. We're looking to get a few more uh, just by the end of the year. A few, a few is like an understatement, <laughs> but we want to continue providing not just the content we're providing now, but a lot more content. So we really appreciate it and love it. If you go to buymeacoffee.com slash pure hustle, sign up for that membership for the cost of less than the cost of a coffee a month for five bucks a month or a one-time gift, we really appreciate that.
0: Yeah. And so um, for episode 200, this is kind of unique because this is a Wednesday episode, Mm -hmm. but we have an interview. And I think that's awesome because this is going to be an incredible interview.
1: I I think, and and that's the thing, it's it's episode 200 and I was thinking, you know, what do we do for episode 200 now? We are doing our super celebration for episode 201 and that one will go live. We're not going to, you know, ghost you after like two minutes. But we have an awesome guest on here. I watch his videos a lot because there's there's a lot of people out there and I'm not trying to throw shade. I mean, we do it ourselves. Right. You can you can do the over the top like, hey, I sell a million dollars a year and da da. And for a lot of people, it's like, well, I, I don't even I can't even relate. Right. Mm-hmm. And then there's the flex and like, here's how much money I make. And this is what I picked up, which we do, too. But then there's the real practical, right? The knowledge that it gets dropped and you actually can, day one, you hear this episode, you hear this knowledge and you're able to apply this in your eBay store and your reselling in your life. And so this guest, I'm welcome. I'm very, 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 uh, how can I say this? Grateful to bring him on. And so I'd like to welcome Don, the auction professor onto the podcast. Don, how are you doing?
2: Well, doing good. I, I'd like to thank both you guys, Mike and Orlando for uh, reaching out and inviting me to come on. Very enjoyable.
1: No. And, and and I mean, here's the thing, whoever we bring, we always know they're going to bring value. So we're excited about what you're going to bring. So tell us a little bit about, I think most of our listeners know who you are because uh, you know we have real resellers. <laughs> so, I, so tell us, what is the auction professor about? Where Where can we find you? What do you talk about? What do you do?
2: Um, Most of my videos, I don't do a lot of sourcing videos these days. Um, Sometimes I'll do haul videos, but most of it's just about content and things that I look for. If I talk about it on my channel, it's something that I personally buy, sell, or at least know stuff about. I I try to never talk about stuff that I haven't a clue on. I'm the auction professor on YouTube, uh, auction professor on Facebook. I do have a paid Patreon page, the auction professor there um, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, I actually have two Facebook pages. I have a business page and then my, I have a group as well. Pretty much it's all under the auction professor. So whatever platform you're on, just search for the auction professor.
1: All right. So tell us a little bit about how you started your reselling journey and then we'll get into the details and all that.
2: Well, uh, I'll go back just for a second. I don't want to make this any long story, but when I was seven, Star Wars came out and, and, never had a clue on what I was doing as a kid was a business, but they had bubblegum cards out that I could get at my local store. And I figured out that the other kids would give me two cards for the one card that they needed. And then then I was, you know, doubling my inventory and I was trading with all the kids on the street. And then I realized that card number one, no one kept good because we all rubber banded it. So I get three, four, five cards for card number one and as well for the The checklist card, and that's honestly probably where my my whole endeavor into reselling. Because I used to go to garage sales with my mom when I was seven, eight. You know, she didn't have a babysitter, so I got hauled around, and I had an uncle who was an antique dealer when I was a kid, and the whole works. But I've been on eBay or reselling online since Yahoo auctions, if you know what that is. I don't know how far you guys go back, but. That, that far That's right before eBay days. And then we were on eBay the very first year eBay was called eBay. That's when we we started. On, I still fondly remember my very first item, which was a 15-minute, 8-millimeter Star Wars home movie in stereo at the time nice. that I paid a dollar or two at um, Community Thrift, which I don't think is a chain anymore, but it used to be a chain like 27 years ago or something like that.
0: Man, that's interesting. So I, I, I find that a lot of people who get started, get started really young. Like you said, like you were seven years old, you were into the cards, and it seems to be like those collectibles at a young age. Um, were you always kind of like a, a hustler trying to make money as a, as, you know, young going up through high school, right out of high school?
2: Even before, my parents never made a lot of money. So my father worked for the government. Uh, he was in the military for a while. And when, when he got out and met my mom and married, um, My mom pretty much stayed home and that's how I did it when I was, you know, working. I worked a tough job just so the wife wouldn't have to worry, just the way the family has always been. And I always had a a tight knit family because of that. So I always was, you know, if I wanted something, I had to earn it myself. My parents, I never had allowance or anything like that. I think maybe once or, or for like two months, I might've got 50 cents a week or something. It was really nothing. So, you know, the paper routes, shoveling, cutting grass, whatever I was able to do, I loved comic books. I was a big Batman fan, and I collected Batman comic books for like 14 years of my life, probably, somewhere in that range. I I mean, for a very long time. Toys, Micronauts, I was a huge Micronaut and Takari fan. Seventy six, seventy seven. 77 Mego bought the US rights to the Micronauts. And uh, that blew my world for like two or three years until I was able to start into the Star Wars. I think in like 78, I think was my first Star Wars figure. Mm, so can, can I ask what you, are you, are, you, 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 what you, what are
1: Micronauts? I'm sorry, Don, what are Micronauts? What are Micronauts? Micronauts? Yeah.
2: Micro Man is a Japanese toy line. I think the original line shot out in like 69. It was made by Takara, T-A-K-R-A. Very well-known company. They made some of the original G1 Transformers. Um, okay. And Takara okay. licensed the... Um, Micro Man are the same basic thing as Micronauts. Micronauts with Baron Karza was the, the evil dude. Marvel Comics issued like uh, 90 or 100 uh, issue series for a few years when Micronauts were hot. Um, I mean, uh, what was it, Lords of Light? I mean, even even after the line died, other companies picked up the molds, and even just the knockoffs made from the molds are uh, highly collectible. Hmm. Um, my my biggest deal when I first got on eBay right after those eight millimeter films, I I sold all my childhood Micronauts, and I thought I'm not going to get very much, but we did like forty seven hundred dollars out of a box. Oh. I had wow. Galactic Cruiser and Every one of the stuff that you could imagine, I had the Time Travelers, Atomic um, Pharaoh. I mean, these are all like the key characters. I, I That was all I ever got when I was a kid. And again, those were presents or I used my money from my grandparents were well off. So they always gave us, you know, decent Christmas presents. My parents, you know, did what they could. They paid the house off. My father, you know, whatever they could do. My father used to fix up old cars and, and sell those for extra money. He was a carpenter, so he built a two-story addition and, we heated our house with wood and in the winter, and I used to go and cut down trees with my dad. And we'd scale and, and lock off and cut off the tops and lower them down, and you know all that kind of stuff. That's what me and my brother were required to do as a kid on the weekend. So if I wanted something, I had to earn it as a kid. My father was was a military guy, and you know I lived on a base, you know, time and you know when I was really young and stuff. And Fort Knox was one of the places we were at at one one time. He took sharpshooter school there and yeah. that kind of.
0: Very cool. So, um, did you ever do anything like other than reselling full time, or was this kind of like you, you got into this early and it and it kind of was your career?
2: I, I my first real job was working at um, a company called Michigan Ohio Publishing Company, and they did homes like the the magazines you see with the homes in it with the halftone okay. images. And I was the the graphics guy. I was the one who took the photos from the real estate agent. And then I would take halftones, which are the little dotted. A halftone is what a newspaper uses Mm. if they're not colorized, you know, with the fancy printing like a a major newspaper. And I did all that. And then I worked at a movie theater um, part time, too. So I was working like 60 hours because the only way I was going to get a car is if I work. So I did that once I moved away from home. I worked for Disney uh, for 10 years that's where I met my wife in a lot of the contacts that I still talk to daily from 20 plus years ago. Mm. Um, and I was in management there. And when I left there, I ended up in a um, restaurant. Uh, I worked as a general manager for Applebee's for many years, Cracker Barrel. Um, and then I ran uh, regional wise for Einstein Brothers. I used to run Washington, Virginia and Maryland as a general manager or as a uh, regional manager where I handled that um, at that point, I was, we were handling my personal region. I was responsible for like 11.1 million was wow. my responsibility. Um, I did that for a while. And then on the side, we had always done eBay or some other selling platform. So I had always done it uh, on my weekends. We do, I'd work full time, 60, 65 hours as a regional, sometimes 70 or more. But wow. on the weekends, I could usually get three runs in of week long auctions. I would start them on Sunday. I'd photograph on my first day off. If I got the whole Saturday off, that's what I do is photograph. And then I would um, list them on Sunday for a uh, auction. And uh, we usually do 125 auctions back in those days. Next Sunday, they'd end. So I'd have one week where I could source or, you know, have some time off. But um, and then Uh, Once I moved to Washington, D.C., 9-11 happened and all that stuff. And that's when I decided I really want to get out of the industry because we had the sniper shootings when I was there. Mm -hmm. And then 9-11 happened. Then we moved back and I took over uh, a region for a company called Gaddy's Pizza. And I handled like a huge area in in, uh, Mississippi where my wife's from. And then uh, Hurricane Katrina wiped out a house of ours. We were remodeling on the side at that point. I was We were flipping houses while I was working for these guys because the house rates were just like dirt cheap there and you could flip them and you could rent them over and that's what we're doing. And Katrina pretty much ended all that on us and we came up to Ohio where I'm from and and, um, ended up going – earning my, my bachelor's. Well, I, I got an AA in um, database design and construction as well as in um, network uh, administration, which is what eBay is. And then I went from there and got my BA, University of Toledo. And then we stuck and got my master's at there as well in research and communication. I got out of college, figured everything's going to be fine and dandy. Nothing, you know, everything mm-hmm. pretty much crashed um, with the economy, 2008, you know, the bubble crashed. So I, I was stuck with... The only option was a, you know, like manager jobs and foods, which I would probably have shot myself if I had to do that. <laughs> got got bit by a poison spider, a brown recluse, and was Ooh. bedridden for two months. Couldn't work anywhere. Oh. so eBay was was the lifesaver. And you know, it it just it just turned into what it is now. It wasn't like a plan. I never twenty years ago, I said, if I could make a living doing this, this would be great. I thought nobody's going to be able to do that. I'm mm. crazy. How, why would I quit a job, you know, making six digits a year to, to try this? And, you know, if I would have done it then, I probably would have been a millionaire 20 plus years ago. You could sell anything back then. Yeah.
1: So, do you, so I'm, I'm intrigued by this because I walked away from education, I was an administrator, you know, I was. I wasn't there yet, but I was on my way to making six figures and and education and all that good stuff. And then I walked away. And I remember a lot of people thought I was crazy and people still think I'm crazy. This is my third year full time. and People are like, are you okay, Orlando? Do you need help? I'm like, I'm good. So my my question to you is, do you believe even now it's possible to make this happen? Do you think this is still a scenario? And we'll get back to nostalgia. I want to get. But I'm just interested in your path. And now this is what you landed on. And, you know, I'm in my 40s and and I'm thinking I'm, like I'm doing what 20 year olds are doing, but I find it a very viable path to have more economic independence. Do you feel the same and why?
2: For me, let me just put this out there first. And everybody thinks I'm just making up some BS. But for me, it's not the money. It, it's okay. it's I swear to the almighty one, it's not the money. For me, it's the freedom that I don't have to listen to somebody. I don't have to worry about something if my uh, as a, as a general manager, a regional manager in a restaurant, you're there till everything's done. If that means you're there for 80 hours a week, for 10 straight weeks, 20 straight weeks, that's what I do. I I That's my job. I, I bite the bullet and I got to do whatever they say. If it means that's what I got to do, that's what I do. So I missed my kids' first steps, first words. You know, it, we've lived in hotels for, you know, a month because I was taking over a region or doing this. My life has been all over the country. You know, it's, it's, it's sad when you've got a two year old child at this point we only had one then and he's got more frequent flyer miles than every single person I've ever met wow. my son does is I traveled sometimes in the same day three flights maybe four flights and sometimes three or four days a week that was my life because I had to cover Washington Virginia Maryland the the, the my my boss was in um, Florida that's a Gentlemen, I've talked about. I got a video on my boss. He's like the best boss I've ever seen in my life. But the possibilities for doing this are, are still, you know, out there at this point. It just kind of floats into things like this with me. It wasn't, again, what I was looking for, but the opportunities, in my opinion, are there to still do, you know, whatever you want to do. Freedom, though, is, is what this gives me. So I don't I don't care if I'm a multimillionaire. The money doesn't drive me. I swear on my life, it doesn't drive me. The ability to do what I want to do and work on art projects or do goofy, stupid videos. If you saw my Halloween video, I don't, I I didn't care if anybody liked it. Me and the wife had had the most fun I think I've had doing something Halloween together with the family than I can remember for quite a while. You know, there's more to life than, than money. You know, I I mean, I I don't mind working hard. I've always worked hard, but it, it is so much more than, than, than than stability, as to have the time to do what I want with my wife, my kids. Now that they're both adults, I've missed so much. I don't ever want to be in a spot where you're not leaving till you do this. You're not leaving till you do that. That's mm-hmm. that's just not that's not me anymore. I I could never do that. You know, that's what drives me is the 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 thought that I would have to do that again. You know.
0: Huh. No, that's amazing. And I think I've heard a lot of, of resellers say similar things and that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, I'm a part-time reseller. Uh, and so for me, this is just a way my wife has been able to stay home, stay with uh, my son and kind of help raise him instead of you know us having to send him off and not get to see him very much like we were both doing so we were working a lot. So this has been a great like freedom opportunity for us. So out of curiosity, since you do this full-time but you are still getting, like you said, freedom and 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 the ability to do things on your own time, uh, what is a, a day in the life of the auction professor look like? Like how much time are you spending sourcing, listing, taking pictures, all that stuff uh, each day or or a week, you know?
2: I have employees. So most of the time I don't take photos, scans or anything at all anymore, in all honesty. Um, I rarely even list, honestly, these days. But I'm up like this morning, the alarm clock went off at 6.55 and that's sleeping in for me. I will surely be up till 12 or one o'clock tonight i don't i for me giving up stuff like tv shows and sitting down and doing stuff like that i don't i don't miss any of that anymore um you know the last time i watched a tv show that i really got into and watched was walking dead up to season seven and then after that i couldn't get into it and then Mm -hmm. i totally went away from tv uh shows and stuff we might watch a family movie but most of my time when i'm here is is Pretty much packed in with anything I can do, whether it's calling uh, somebody to pick up something or dealing with some other aspect of our our other businesses. We've got several. I've got quite a few DBAs that we do other things up. So a lot of my time is dealt with contracts, possibly, or even some of the artwork. Or we're we're, we've got a toy line that we've been working on and stuff. And there's some legal issues you got to worry about and stuff, even if it's for adults. So a lot of my time has been dealing with that and. I do get out and source, um, we're more targeted sourcing. I don't randomly drive around anymore for anything. I don't go to uh, three uh, flea, uh, flea markets really anymore. I don't go to thrift stores hardly ever. I, last year I may have went like three times. I don't go to garage sales at all, but I do go to sourcing that I've I've narrowed down. I've been going to Columbus a lot, which is like a six hour round trip. Um, I've been centering in on on specifics like early vintage toys. Military like buttons and things like that. I've got, geez, like 350 um, pounds of military buttons. Got like 10 grand, I think, invested in those now. And I haven't even listed one yet, but I'm more targeted these days. I try to, there's philosophies in what I do, I guess is the point. And and I do targeted stuff. I don't randomly drive around at all. It's it's, for me, again, I'm not trying to say anybody shouldn't do it because I had to do exactly what everybody else did and drive around and spend most of my time trying to source. You know, I did clothing for a couple of years. We had hundreds of bins of clothing, you know, clothing pieces here and shoes and books. And I did FBA, RA. I- I've done it all. I'm just trying to transition to uh, replenishables. That I can create, make and produce that I don't have to worry about anybody else's contacts or whether they got it, where the price is right. I can just roll it out myself mm. as the manufacturer. I can copyright trademark and then put a Vero in eBay so no one can sell it. I can do the same thing for Amazon Etsy and I can't be, you know, driven off the platform for, you know, copyright people, you know, ripping me off and everything like that.
1: Wow. So so talk to me. I mean, your operation I mean you still do reselling. So uh, you know, I always want to hear the opinion about different things. Like, you know, there's a lot of people that are, are heavy to Amazon. There's a lot of people that are heavy to cross-posting. There's a lot of people that are, you know, all eBay, all Poshmark. So I'm going to ask like a litany of questions about some of this because I'm interested because it seems like you've tried everything. So, So Amazon, you mentioned Amazon. Do you still do a little bit of Amazon or is that like gone well, to I the got way thousands
2: out? and thousands of items on Amazon. I, okay. I do. Merchant we fulfilled? are on gated collectibles, okay. historical vintage vinyl. So we sell most of what I sell on eBay and collectibles market. I do sell on there. And before we go any farther, okay, make an offer best offer is 100% something that's been on Amazon for like six or seven years. So for those people who say, Amazon doesn't offer that. Uh, it's the same thing as eBay. The eBay collectibles market is the exact same thing as what you can find on Amazon. Amazon's collectibles, though, is the locked category now. I don't think they're accepting anybody. I'm lucky enough that I got my way in before they shut it down. Just like, um, geez, there's a couple other programs they've shut down that you can't get into at all nowadays. Um, I, I don't know what the deal is, why, but, you know. Are you saying there's best offer that like somebody can FD. offer you?
1: Somebody can offer you. something yeah, you like can take eBay?
2: best offers on Amazon.
1: Like they yes. message you. You mean like they're like, "Hey, would you be willing yeah, to just take?" Just like this? on
2: eBay, you'll get a notice you've got a best offer. It's the same basic principle huh. as eBay. I mean, down to the t. Hey,
1: that's a new one. I've never. <laughs> it has been, on... been
2: it's like six years. Like it's been on. I think we've had best offer on, on our collectibles for like six years. But it's only in collectibles. Some of the historical uh, vintage vinyl, um, vintage and I'm, I'm on gated in entertainment, too. So there's some in the entertainment section that they can send you uh, best offers basically to. Wow. Look nice. it up. Look it up. Just type in best offer at Amazon and you'll see it. It's been a thing for a very long time. Hmm. I had somebody tell me that that's not true. And I'm like, you know, I, I don't, I, I do it. You know, I, I have that. We do FBA. I do RA, the whole works too. But I don't do nearly, I haven't done any of that with the pandemic, but I, I do do it. I've got some Christmas stuff, FBA right now. So it's already in because I I would have missed the deadline otherwise, of course. All
1: right. So talk to me a little bit about, I've I've seen some of your videos about cross-posting. And so I, what I find is that people that have been reselling for a while, they try it and then they stick to just two, like even myself. I still do. I have items in Poshmark. I have items in Mercari. But my go-to are eBay, Amazon. Like I, I can only handle so much. Do you, do you cross platform? How how do you do it? I mean, is it is it is it even worth it to you?
2: Well, I've I've done the gambit. I've I've now moved through like um, uh, what's the what's the one Salbrite I used for a while. Um, what's the other one? Big e commerce, I think, is the other one of the other ones. And then we did Ink Frog uh, Bridge to Shopify to do a Shopify. And um, I was hoping to have it up actually for this season, but th- the biggest problem with me is those are designed mostly if I want to propagate from eBay to Shopify and then Shopify to Amazon for specific categories. And unfortunately, the majority of the categories I sell in don't link up with the Uh, Amazon categories. If I'm selling like a toaster that's NOS or something, that toaster on eBay, I can pretty much instantly link through InkFrog, Shopify, and then back to an Amazon. So if I sell it on one side, it automatically comes down from another that's the only way in my book to do cross listing. I know there's people pushing that list perfectly or whatever. Where you got to do one at a time. Most of the people are pushing that are people that probably are getting commission off I've seen it. It's, it would be totally useless for somebody with any kind of volume uh, from what I've seen, unless they've changed it in the last six months or something. You got to have the ability to pull it down. When we first started listing, I was double listing on, I do three sites at once. So if I had a record, I'd be listing it on Discogs, eBay, and Amazon. And I'd have three windows open. And after a while, it, it, it's, it takes so much longer. You know, you got to process a picture, download it from eBay, upload it to Amazon, upload it to, to Discogs. And the problem is when you sell one on one site, you got to remember every night to go ahead and pull those down. And if you list, let's say 200 listings, 300 listings and records all at the same day, I'm going to sell three to 5% of those minimum in the same day. So by the end of the night, I've already listened now I got to go take them down from other sites and that's where where it gets to be frustrating when you're constantly spending all that extra time and then you it's it's whether it's worth your time to be constantly pulling stuff down you saw it in on one site you got to pull it down from two other sites every single night it's it confusing which site you need to pull it down on and all that kind of stuff without the ability to pull down your items or at least end them, zero them out. It's not worth it. Um, I do HIP as well. So when HIP does it, HIP can't, HIP hip can't, um, how does it, it changes, I think, my listing to, it puts the word sold in the title and then ends it. Some of the other third-party APIs that I have will only uh, bring down your quantity to zero. So even with all of these technologies and the linkage and the cross-listing, there's still some things you can't do. So when you have it set like that on eBay, you've got to go ahead and, and go to settings and you'll have to press it where it actually doesn't end any of your listings, because if you do it that way, some of the third-party apps you're going to cross-list can't end it or can't um, access your listing otherwise. So it changes everything you do. So you've got to think about a hundred different other things when you're cross-listing. Uh, there's, no, there's no one answer that does everything. There's no Um, one instantly, you turn on a switch and everything goes. Everything is complicated when you sell in, I sell in like 60 or 70 different categories, maybe more than that. There's nothing that links together. So everything is complicated. We did four and a half months on Shopify, just to end it before Christmas because I I was wasting too much time. My deadline passed. I even postponed my deadline by two weeks. I got to have some money coming in if I'm going to spend it. And I, I was wasting too much time obviously fourth quarter, all my time goes into fourth quarter. So we cut it off. We're going to have to go back in in January and we might just use the option to do Amazon and eBay only. And then I'm debating on what to do about Etsy at this point too. I mean, I know that's a long about answer there, but we've done so many different ways to get it to work and nothing does does it as easily. But once you get it set up, you're fine. Again, it could take a year to get it set up. That's the problem.
1: So I'm trying to break it down for our listeners because it's super, I, I understand all the technical talk, like, but if you're new, you're just like, I, I have no idea what's going on. I'm sorry. No, I'm no, the, no, no, I'm, I'm not. No, it, it, Don, it's fine. I mean, this is why I say people watch the auction professor, he knows what he's talking about. So this is a new one. Cause I, you're the first person I've heard that's actually used ink frog to link their eBay store to Shopify. And so you said you've been able to successfully do that. And so when something sells on Shopify, it, it sells, it pulls it from eBay now. Do you have to do any ads to get people to, to your Shopify store now? Because with eBay, eBay does all the traffic. Are you having to do the same thing with Shopify or are you gonna have, do you have to do Facebook ads and so on?
2: Well, with Shopify, you can download for free the Google Shopping app. So basically you can link all of your listings into Google. Right now, if you compare the numbers or follow any of the, the data, of the majority of listings that are searching for the items that I sell come from a Chrome or a um, browser search. So that means they're not going to eBay. They're not going to Amazon. They're typing in what they're looking for. So the majority of that 30% is using Chrome, which would be Google Shopping. So if you can rank high enough through Google Shopping, you can avoid the aspect of eBay. eBay uses Google Shopping to some extent. I know they've had some issues with each other google and, and uh, ebay itself over the ads and stuff but there are other ways to to get it obviously you can't advertise on ebay and there are some rules to what you can and can't add into a package going to somebody but a lot of my business is based on repeat customers and um, as opposed to, say, having 50,000 listings on eBay, I can keep them set at a certain figure, 50,000 or whatever, but I can list a couple hundred thousand on my own site. And the draw would be that if you like the cool stuff you see in my eBay store or wherever I'm at, you'll be floor, you know blown away or floored by what I have in my personal store. That, that's, that's the end goal on it is, is to bring over the folks that I've been dealing with for 10 years in many cases that buy, you know, multiple quantities two and three times a month from us. Those are the ones that I want.
0: Wow. Uh, no, that's good, yeah. I mean, that's something that that I haven't uh, messed with yet is Shopify, and it sounds like for you even, you're kind of putting Shopify on hold because it just hasn't gotten to where you want it to be yet, uh, but that's, that is that is one of those platforms that I know is kind of growing and it's building, and we always talk about the importance of resellers being willing to adapt and adjust, and that doesn't mean every platform that comes out is going to be the next uh, home run, but if you're not on there early, um, like I'm sure you've already said you were glad you've made it into the certain things on Amazon that you got ungated in, because once things kind of close off, it's like, man, I wish I would have been on there. So it sounds like you well, sell let- Yeah, go ahead, please.
2: I was gonna say with with Shopify, let me just put it this way. If you don't have the quantity that I have, nor all these oddball items, you're selling NOS or something, you're not gonna have any of this problem. That that's the point. And you wouldn't even have to, if you're not going to sell the vintage collectibles and all the odds records and all the other stuff I have, you wouldn't have to use um, necessarily InkFrog. Now with Shopify, there is a eBay API channel, which you can use, but you can't do best offer. So I can't use it. Uh, And there's other issues. Once you run it through Shopify's API with eBay, when you create the listing that way, you're pretty much stuck. Even if you drop Shopify, you're going to lose access to alter those. So you'd have to end every one of your listings, go back in and create them as a normal listing. Because once you end Shopify, it kills the API there. Uh, Same basic principle with Shopify, Amazon has an API. um, So I could do the API version. Or if you don't want to mess with Shopify, you can use InkFrog because InkFrog now has an API just to go to Amazon. So you can either go uh, eBay, InkFrog, Amazon, or you can go eBay, InkFrog, and then Shopify, and then back to Amazon through an API from Shopify. If that makes, I got a video that actually breaks down that whole path in like hmm. little blocks. You can see what what if, you know, if anybody wants to try and figure that out. But I it it's it's like um like let, let me just like I've got Hip postcards to get Hip to go and sync up Hip auto syncs with eBay. So, for so listeners, can you I explain
1: stuff- Hip real quick, Don? I'm sorry, can you explain Hip? For our listeners, hip, hip
2: Hip is a Hip used to be a stamp site, and it's a company that bought out a stamp platform. They still have a Hip uh, Hip stamps, but they also have now branched off into Hip stamps, postcards, and comic books. Okay. So, and they're a specialty site, kind of like Discogs is for records. Discogs is the bible of record information on the entire internet, and that's where you find everything you want to know about knowledge on any pressing. The god of disc of records is Discogs, and that's the same basic principle on some of the hip platforms, like on the stamps, or like Dell Camps, which does stamps and postcards and things like that too. But with Hip, I can sell it on Hip. It'll pull it down and mark it sold on eBay. Once it's on eBay, Ink Frog will grab it up and then alter my my quantity on my Shopify store. Once it's on Shopify, it's changed. If I have it on Amazon, the API from Amazon will actually alter the end result on Amazon and pull that one down as well. So you can bridge a whole bunch of stuff together once you've figured out that it's going to link from category to category, I guess. But if you don't have all that worry, it's easy. Let's Mm -hmm. just put it that way. If I started this on day one, it would have been done like in a week or less. Right. Before I had all these massive amounts of listings. Yeah.
0: No. And, and it sounds like you have like a ton of listings and that you're doing a lot of collectible items. So would you say that you're, we often talk about like uh, fast nickel, slow dime. Uh, and I would imagine with collectibles. That was my next question. Yeah. <laughs> That's so, great. So I'd imagine with collectibles that, that typically you're, you're, you're holding off until you're getting top dollar, right? So you're going that slow dime or do you, do you try and sell through quickly in order to have more capital, get more inventory? Like, what does your model look like there?
2: I don't need to worry about capital or, or inventory. So that's off my plate. I never worry about that anymore. If somebody has something, I just get it, if it's worth it. And I don't really care if I sell it right away. If you, if you I've had, you know, I literally, I've got $10,000 probably invested in buttons. This is a four month endeavor so far. And I haven't spent, it. you know, I haven't got a dime back out of it yet. I don't worry if it's something I know I can move. eBay isn't the only market for stuff like that. Um, I talk about some of these in like Patreon, but there's a huge site that you can get in some cases way more than you would on eBay for the same items that I sell. So a lot of people are unaware of that. A lot of people avoid that. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of going off on a tangent here. Out, that's okay. If you want to bring it back around.
1: So we we're just we we're looking. So you're obviously you're not worried about getting that cash flow going because that's not of the most important, it's like you're w- waiting for the top dollar buyer.
2: Okay, let me go back into that. With cash flow, okay. I've got enough, qu- I've got more than just one store on eBay. Just just put that out there. Um, we're on more than one platform. When most people are looking at a sheet for their p and and l profit and loss statement at the end of the week or whenever they're gonna bounce out their, their P&L, they're only looking at their eBay site. I don't look at eBay specifically like everybody else does. It's, it's come down in, Uh, how important it is. And it's down below the halfway mark now of our business in general. Um, So I'm I'm looking at an overall aspect of it. As long as my bottom line is increasing three to 5%, I'm not really worried about whether I'm selling, you know, I've got to sell this or I got to sell that. Too many people are just about, you know, sell through rate, sell through rate, sell through rate. That's all that matters to them my what matters to me is if I'm selling enough every single day of the week so let's say today I've got 150 in expenses but I'm selling 800 worth of merchandise is it really essential that I sell everything I pay so little for the item so when when they sell the 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 amount of profit coming back or the the return on my investment is you know 50 times 100 times 200 times even in some cases that that's not a factor for me I, I don't have to worry there's with the store that I share, there's twenty twenty six or twenty seven thousand listings, and I'm not sure some somewhere in that range. That's just
1: one store. There's always a pardon me. That's just one store, Don. Is that what you're saying?
2: That's just the one store, but there's always amount of revenue coming in, and if it's not just coming in from there, it's coming in from somewhere else too. You know, I've I've got having your your business spread out over a bunch of areas, not keeping all of your eggs in one basket, is the best best way in my book. Right now, there's a lot of people who are struggling when they hadn't on eBay in the past with all the changes and things that are going on. A lot of it in my opinion with eBay is their, their, how they're forcing search results on new people who don't understand how the site works. That's killing a lot of people's business. Um, and I've complained about that before. I don't know if they'll ever fix it, but that's honestly a big percentage of I think why people are having issues. But most of the people who are having these issues have all their eggs in one basket. They're only doing eBay, or they're only doing Poshmark or Macari or whatever you'd wanna pronounce it. Um, so I try to try the ones that work for what I sell. Like uh, Amazon, I can sell some items, vintage collectibles, like 78 records for more than I could on eBay. Hmm. You know, there, you just gotta know where the best place to sell something, like the buttons per se, uniform buttons. One uniform button, you get the right one, can go for four or $5,000 wow. for one small shirt button off somebody's jacket. But certain sites, you'll get $1,000 more than you would on other sites, um, like Heritage. I'm a big fan of Heritage auctions, and I have no problem recommending anybody going there. I, I don't get a dime from that, but I've worked with them before, and I get more money out of stuff. I also do PSAs on stuff because I get more money out of the stuff if I PSA it instead of just blowing it out on eBay for somebody else to buy it from me, PSA it, and then turn around and sell it himself on Heritage. So you got to know how the whole game works if you want to be in in categories that values can be dictated by sites. You know,
0: we wanted to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors for this episode. Hey, everyone. Ever found yourself too busy to
1: list or wanting a scale and not knowing how? Well, we've partnered with a great service called Cellhound. They will help you do much of the heavy lifting and can benefit your business in many ways. Sign up for listing services with Cellhound and receive 25% off your first purchase or 25% off your first month of a Cellhound monthly subscription. You can do this by using our promo code all in caps, pure hustle twenty five. That's the numbers two five. By the way, everyone gets three free listings to try out before any purchases. Just go to sawhound.com and subscribe using our promo code pure hustle twenty five.
2: Hopefully, that makes some side of, uh, some kind of sense.
1: Oh no, it completely makes sense. I mean, I, the longer I've been reselling, the more I'm noticing. I, I mean, I see people that you know, I do clothing. So a lot of people get more on Depop or they even just get it on their own Instagram. Once they develop a following, they're able to command a certain price where eBay dictates that price based on the amount of listings and who the sellers are on there. And so yeah, hundred percent. That's a lot of knowledge that just got dropped. So, all right. So you had mentioned about repeat buyers and it seems like you've developed a community of buyers. And I, I know I've, I've seen your videos, so I know you got whole videos devoted to this. Is there like one or two ways that in the, you know, you would recommend for people to develop a community of repeat buyers. How, how do you go about doing that?
2: Um, the, the the easiest explanation is to dominate a category. Dominate a category. As some of the categories that I'm in, I'm like sixty percent of every item you see in that category. Um, one yeah. of the categories, like Victorian items, I'm I've worked my way up. Last time I looked, I was twenty three percent of the category. So that means that. One out of four items somebody's going to look for is going to be me. Eventually, they're going to keep seeing my name, and they'll realize why don't I just go to this guy first? And that's usually what happens. Um, and I've got so much quantity in that category that, wow, I can get this here instead of just buying one item from this guy and then the other three from me. So they eventually, you know, realize that hey, you know, this guy's got him, or he can get him, or he puts enough up every every time that they'll follow and they'll keep coming back. And plus, I I try to. Anytime I recognize a name, and I do look through them uh, fairly often, I try to you know reach out to them. Hey, if you're a collector in this field, I'll be happy to work with you on pricing. Come back, you know, and then and, and like tip top shipping. I ship. It, it would be pretty hard for someone to damage even a piece of paper. I ship them. They spend you know they're spending 370 or so to have them ship just a little piece of paper, but you know again I'm not just throwing it in somewhere. They're they're wrapped professionally. From every point of the deal, I ship immediately if they pay before 11 a.m. They pay at 10.59. That item going out in five minutes from the time they paid. And, you know, it, it, it's drawn a lot of customers, a lot of businesses. Selling what I sell as well. I sell a lot of stuff that um, museums buy. Hollywood mm-hmm. buys a lot of stuff from us. Um, prop houses buy a lot of stuff Um uh, genealogy, uh, companies, um, decorators, artists buy a ton, California artists, I got two or three clients that sometimes buy three or $4,000 worth of items, like 120, 150 items all at the same time. You got to know how to draw that in like museums in general, uh, buy a lot of stuff from us too. um, not like big, huge museums, but small ones, a lot of college professors buy from us, but if you're not in areas where they would be prone or looking to do that, it's kind of hard to do. It's something that you're going to have to learn where they're coming from. And one thing I see a lot of people do with that, too, is when somebody buys, they don't, you know, follow up. They don't try to figure out what these guys are buying it for. And that's been a big plus because you're allowed to ask people on eBay. Hope you liked the, the thing. Just curious. You know, were you a collector? Were you this? Why would you buy it? And a lot of those answers have steered me into where we're at right now with what I sell and why I sell it, because I've got feedback from people that are buying the items to say, hey, you know, if I invest more into doing this aspect of it, I'm going to get a return because these people are looking for it. Hmm. And none of that information can be found on eBay. No other re, uh, online YouTuber I've ever heard go into that detail. I probably wouldn't want to talk about it either, but that's the basics for it. You, you got to reach out. None of this information was given to me. Every single thing that I do or sell is something that I had to figure out either by messing up, losing money, and moving forward or something along that. I've lost, I've done a lot of stupid mistakes. You know, I don't do them anymore, but, you know, everybody's going to do that. And it's not a problem. You're going to learn and you're going to figure out what you can and can't do that way.
0: Oh, that's great. Actually, that kind of leads into uh, another question, which is, since you're already talking about mistakes, what what are maybe one or two like really big mistakes that you've made and had to learn from? And what was the lesson you learned from them?
2: Well, the the, the worst one is is very easy. That's how I stored stuff when I first started off. I never ever again, I, I never planned on doing this. I just figured I'd just do this until I found a, a decent job that I liked. And that didn't happen after a couple of years and then We were making so much money doing this, it just kind of went this way. But storage has always been the beginning, my biggest mistake ever, because we had got into this for months and we were listing and I finally brought the wife in after the first year and then the kids started doing it and I was listing all this stuff and we were just stacking it in bins lining up and I would have to, at the end of the day, sometimes if I sold something and I might have to look through a thousand cards, my memory is pretty good so I can usually kind of guesstimate where it would be in the stack based on what day I listed it. But, you know, after a while, we had to come through and spend hours. Every All those thousand cards, me and the wife sat there and had to alphabetize them or if they're postcards, put them by the state and then mark them by the city and then recategorize them. Go back into the listings. That cost us hours upon hours upon hours. And once we were done, it was fine. We went forward with a, a cataloging system, numbered shelves, numbered bins, and inside the bins, actual dividers and stuff like that after we got that done, it was great, but man, that was the worst mistake I think I've made because I was just wasting so much time. Start off with a numbering system, start off with uh, bins, numbered, lettered, whatever system you want. Um, that's going to fix it for you. That was my biggest thing. Um, and the, the, the second biggest thing was I never sold 78 records, never was, I love records, always been in music. My, my master's thesis is on music, but, um, I never sent out 78s and I had sent one out like I would an LP and it was a really expensive one. And I thought, you know, no big deal. And uh, a 78 records, not vinyl, it's shellac. It's basically what you'd put a coating on furniture, you know, some fine furniture. So it probably, the minute it went out the door, it was already broken into pieces. And I had to cover that. When I took a ding, I took a negative for that. I lost like 175 bucks from that disc Mm. and, I learned really quickly and I looked up how to do it and figured out the best method and the cheapest method to do it. But, you know, those are the two biggest mistakes, not shipping properly and not storing properly. Very big mistakes. I mean, I should have known better. I was foods. We had to store and, you know, I've unloaded semi trucks with the employee. I mean, that's what you got to do. And you you have a spot for everything. And I never, never once related it to eBay until I I took this more seriously, I guess. That's good.
1: It's, storage is always the one because it catches up with you, yep. right? You start reselling, you have a few yeah, items, right? It's one tote then it's two-toed. They're like, I'll get to it. And it's not until I would say for me, it wasn't until one time where I had to leave the state. Like I went on a trip when I was an administrator to DC and I had somebody else trying to find items for me and I didn't have a catalog that I felt terrible for that person spending hours for just a pair of shoes and and so I, I I get it, Dot. I've been in the same place. Now, let's talk about your YouTube a little bit. So, one thing that Mike and I have always shared, and I I'm I'm feeling this now as as you grow, right? As your audience grows, and and you you know you get awesome people that are constantly part of the community, and you're communicating. At the same time, though, it starts taking a little bit away from your reselling business. Right. And at least, at least maybe it's just me, but I feel that it it gets, it gets more difficult, but you decided to start a YouTube channel and you have a full-fledged operation. I mean, I I don't even have close to what you have, but you're still, you crank about two to three, maybe four, I don't know, sometimes daily videos. It just seems like you're, daily. I always get, I always, you're always my recommended, like every time, right? I mean, I'm subscribed to your channel, but I'm always like, how, how does Don find the time? So what led you to start your YouTube channel and, and what, what, what's your passion behind it?
2: Uh, again, I was a regional and part of my job was sitting down at a table with general managers trying to figure out why their store was, was flailing, what was the deal with you know, staffing issues and stuff. And, and in that position, my position as a regional, I'm responsible for everything under me. So if a store doesn't succeed, it can hit my my financials. In in that kind of industry, you get a base salary. In mine, I'll give you when I was working for like Einstein Brothers, our base salary is forty five thousand dollars. I could make three times that if I hit all my all my numbers. So if I hit, you know, labor is one category. Uh, COGS was another category and then expenses and, um, repairs was the third category. So if, if I could coax all of my people under me, all the five stores in one business or 11, when I, when I went to DC, I could get my numbers. So it, it, it's, it, it's great for you to understand how that all works when you go in there. So you can point out what they're doing wrong to improve their store again, improving me. So I like the aspect of, of, trying to show them why they were messing up or why they were doing something. So part of that, the biggest part was that's what I did for 20 years of my life was stuff like that was, you know, go in here and figure out what's going on. And that's what I had to do. So that's like a part of my life that I did really enjoy. in in corporate America, it's probably the only real part I enjoyed was, was the, um, consultation aspect of it, you know, and, and that's one of the biggest parts. The, the, the other one is one that usually gets me in trouble and I took a lot of hate from it is I saw far too many people telling everybody how easy it was to do this. And a lot of flashy videos is you said, there's a difference between flashy and misleading, and this is not an easy job uh, in, in any way, shape or form. Um, you know, and I took a lot of flack for saying that. And I still will say it. I don't care what, what anybody thinks. It's not like you watch a couple of videos of mine or anybody's, mine is, you know, especially because I don't go into a lot of the more common stuff, but it, it aggravated the heck out of me that people were, were killing something and, and turning it into something that wasn't. This, I love what I do. I honestly and sincerely love, I've, I'm passionate about about selling and reselling the antiques because I love this stuff. I could live in a museum. Our house looks like a museum. I've got cabinets and, and, and you name it, I've got it all over the place. Um, that's what I'm in. I'm into this stuff. And it it, it drives me nuts when people portray themselves as a reseller, when they're really a uh, influencer trying to be an influencer. For me, I don't spend as much time at all. I don't answer many emails. I don't, I don't hardly ever on my Facebook page, my Twitter, any of that stuff. I'm very rarely on it. I've just pretty much, I put the videos up and that's about to the end of my extent that I have time. Because again, I still devote it to our other stuff here. Now, Patreon's a different story. I answer and do every single thing that's on there. There's not a single thing that I let slip between the cracks in there, but this is, again, people are more interested and they're stepping off and they're spending some money and not that it's expensive or anything, but it's just the point that they have an investment in. So I know they're at least interested. If, if I answered emails or questions on, on, YouTube, I'd be doing hundreds of those a day. I'd be answering dozens of emails just in the morning, every single morning. I don't have the time for do, to do that. I am not a social media guy per se. That's not where, where my, my, my drawings. Now, if I was, I do animation on the side and we've been working on stuff like that. So that would be a different case. I, I wouldn't have a problem with, with expanding on that, but I don't know. I'm not a social network guy. I'm a reseller. Like the majority of what we are is, is based on reselling. I wouldn't be anything if it wasn't for reselling. And I just, I, I just it, it's a pet peeve of mine. I, I'm again, I don't mind somebody selling a course or anything like that, if it's a good course, but a lot of the people that are selling courses have been on here for a couple months. They've been a reseller just enough to say, Hey, look, I'm a reseller. And then they want to sell a course and they're missing so much Steering people in bad directions and things like that. At least that's my take on it. When I first started off, I used to get a lot of hate and people tell me, you shouldn't be putting this on YouTube. I know there were other channels that were, I got threats and stuff. Stop putting this out there. You're going to ruin it for the rest of us. Um, You know, all this stuff you're talking about needs to be a paid service. You're not just giving it away. But I wasn't looking for that. So that's what drove me nuts. That's part of the reason I did this.
1: Mm. No, and I appreciate uh, how how candid you are, and I appreciate how real you are because yeah, this is this is tough work. I mean, I, I've I've shared before it is, it is. before when I was part time, it it was it was pretty easy because I wasn't depending on <laughs> to pay the bills, and when I went full time, I thought I'd only be working like you know five hours a day and rest of the time off. And no, that's, that's just not the way it went. And, but I love what I do. I mean, you know, Mike and I go back and forth cause I always bug Mike. Like, are you going to jump full time? But Mike loves what he, what he does teaching. I love teaching, but I only teach a course once a week and it's for 90 minutes. And that's it. I do some grading and so on, but I love recently. you really, I, I do believe you need to be passionate about it because the money is only, you only enjoy the money for so long. I think personally now, I'm just like you. I'm more about the time freedom than the scaling. Would I like to scale more? Sure, but I love the fact that I've been able to enjoy these last few years with my boys on a consistent basis. Now, we talked about the failures, but I want to talk about the successes, Don. So, what are? Talk to us about your early successes and then just the recent success that you care to share about. You know, when you made a right move and it ended up paying off well.
2: Um a success in like on reselling specifically, or are you talking about like on YouTube? Uh
1: let's talk about reselling, reselling. specifically.
2: Yeah. With with reselling, I, I would say one of the biggest moves we've made that that me and the wife talked about for months on end before we actually did it was hiring people um outside of the family and stuff. And I have to say that was probably one of the best moves I made because it it pretty much Allowed us as a family to travel and I still have employees when I'm not here and things like that that can do pretty much everything I can do because we cross train everybody how to do anything that we have here just in case something does happen. I always have a backup for every spot. That was the scariest. Well, not the scariest. The scariest was trying to do reselling full time right out of college with nothing coming in. That was pretty scary for three years. But hiring somebody is pretty scary uh, again, I hired people for big companies that one, as a regional, I had probably a thousand people under me that I directly at the end of the day could be held accountable for, but hiring them for yourself, mm-hmm. when you got to track down the whole works and, you know, I've got, I hired accountants, I've got one that does just our taxes. And then one that just handles our, our payroll, I, I try to do it on my own and it takes too much time. And I was so worried about the whole aspect of, you know, paying them wrong or not filling out a form right. We just hired uh, hired out a company, and, and I haven't looked back ever on that. That was honestly my best move. It immediately jumped up my revenue. I mean, even after all expenses, you know, like 25%, a big enough amount, especially once they were able to list a whole bunch and, and they moved up from just a few listings at a time to being able to do 20, 30, 40 listings an hour. You know that it, it was it's just a big move, but uh, it really paid off that That's really the turning point, I guess I should say
1: nice. so where so as far as your business, you you're you're changing a little bit. That was one of your biggest changes, right? You're saying is hiring employees. what how, how do you so this is a question we get a lot, and maybe you could help us out because i I struggle even answering it. How do you find viable employees? Like, how do you find one, somebody that's not going to um, steal or I guess or or even, you know, they you're showing them how to do everything. How, you know, in six months, they're just going to take that knowledge and go do it themselves. Like, how do you find people that will actually be, you know, love what they do, work hard for you and stay there? Or is that not possible? Well,
2: I'll tell you. Every place I've ever worked, unless it was like an assistant manager or a general manager, no one's going to want to stay where you're at forever. Is my take. You might get a couple years out of somebody. For us, though, I, I'm lucky. And my best recommendation: anybody trying to find labor, if you got kids, and I know that isn't a lot of people that may have kids, but my employees are all friends of our kids. They've been coming to our house for years. They crash here. They have game night and movie night with their friends and stuff like that. So I've always had a pool of people that I trust them in my house already. They're not interested in being resellers or anything like that. Most of the younger kids like that aren't aren't as go-getter, I guess, to some extent. And that's not trying to be a crack or anything, but I had to work hard when when I was younger just otherwise I wouldn't have anything cuz my parents never had all that money but you know for us we've we've got the the friends of my my both my kids and that's that's been the plus for us and I've never had an employee who wasn't a friend of of one of my kids in all honesty Um, The best place, if you don't have that, would be to reach out to one of the universities. Whenever I work for somebody and I was having problems, most of the places I worked at had universities and you could hire them out from the universities. You can also get some credit from the government for hiring college students Hmm. also. Hmm. If you're not up on doing the the, uh, accounting aspect of it, I pay 50 bucks a month and that's for all the paperwork. Um, two check periods a month, up to twelve employees. They handle everything. That includes the checks. That covers all shipment of the checks and end of my quarter and everything else. So you know, it's not expensive. But if if you you don't want to just jump into it, I have experience. I I could have done it myself. But again, it, anything I can take off my 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 shoulders that that could be a headache later on. It's just out i mean that's that's the end of it just like taxes filing for s corp or whatever you're going to do just literally hire it out your your time and your your brain work is worth a set amount of money and it's not worth all the aggravation yeah
0: no oh, that, that's great that's a good point no because i need to
1: hire people that, that i think you answered my question so oh. that is that was kind of a selfish question i'm sorry so all right hey uh t- talk to me a little bit about uh If you could start, I think, Mike, you were going to ask this one, probably. If you could start reselling all, I know you kind of mentioned your inventory. Is there anything else you would do? If you had to start reselling all over, what is something else you would have changed?
2: If I had to resell all over, what would I change? I would have never went into clothing. I can tell you that. (laughs) I'm not a clothing person at all. I hate the photography aspect. It it limits the amount of, again, no disrespect or anything, because I did clothing for a couple of years. And we did okay, so I can't complain. But I hated it the entire time. Um, I would have avoided that. And if I knew what I know now, I would have went straight into niches and stuck to that when they were more plentiful in certain areas like eighties and seventies toys. Mm. Um, cause I know people now that got the connections I could have had, had I done that years ago, I would have probably also looked more into my own items to start with when I had a more, more of an opportunity 20 years ago, if I was doing my own items, I would have been into it, but I had a, I had a run in, I used to do paintings. Um, there was a magazine called Big Reel back in the '80s that sold all the all the entertainment stuff that you would you'd see on eBay nowadays. Used to be bought and sold on a on a magazine called Big Reel, and I used to go and and do mall setups when I was like 14 and 15, and I would watercolor Walt Disney characters, look just like the characters like Three Amigos and stuff like that, and I'd sell them to an exhibitioner. We actually hired me. He was my boss at the movie theater eventually because um, he did all the exhibition work in town and set up all these shows. And then he got uh, a Disney uh, lawyer showed up with a police officer and they gave him a summons and all. And that ended my my whole thing on making my own stuff. So I strayed away from that. But, you know, I, I should have just not worried about that and went into that. Because if I if I would have done stuff like I'm doing now, when designer toys you know didn't exist, I would have been like in the forefront and that would have probably projected us. I'd be so far ahead than I am now. Again, if you can make, create, or have your own items, that's like ahead of everybody else. It's like private branding to the extreme because you don't even have to worry about it. The only thing you got to worry about is manufacture. And some of the items that I do, we can manufacture here. We've got vacuum tables, you know, vacuum chambers. I've got formers and you know, gas chamber. I got all that stuff here. So that's that's where. That's where we're going now that I wished I would have done, you know, 10, 15, 20 years yeah. ago. You know, you live and you learn.
0: Wow. Oh, that's great. Um, and then kind of while we're on that topic. So um, I like to ask all of the people that we have on, um, if you had the opportunity, you've obviously had an uh, incredible life story. You've got all of these experiences, different industries. Uh, you're doing well in the in the reselling. You've, you've got all of these experiences. So, if you had the opportunity to give like one piece of life advice, like if this is this is something either maybe you live by a motto or something that you can kind of tell our listeners, like here's a piece of life advice, because a lot of the people listening are are younger, they're just kind of getting started out. Um, what what is some advice you would give them?
2: My first one, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. That's that's the biggest thing I can say. It'd be great if everybody likes me or, or whatever. But as long as I'm morally doing what's right, I don't really care what anybody says or thinks about me. Who cares what they say about what you're doing, how you're doing it? The other one is people said this is never going to go anywhere. You're never going to get anywhere. eBay is just a lark. and Who's going to buy all this junk offline? Don't listen to what other people say. Who cares what they're saying? Who cares what they think? That's the biggest thing. Just like when I see people, and I've posted a few here and there, posting photos of what they got going out in the mail that day. That means absolutely nothing to me. Mm. They could have 100 packages going out and only making 20 bucks for all those 100 packages. None of that stuff means anything. Don't ever compare yourself to somebody else because you're a totally different business. You're a totally different person. You've got a totally different structure. And, and those are like the key things that I, I just, I don't worry about. I don't, I wear what I like. I, I don't. I don't care what I wear. I don't care if somebody doesn't like my hair or all the other comments. I'm sure you guys get, probably have gotten some of those kind of comments. Who cares? Who cares in person? Who cares uh, outside of it? it? It just, It's just not worth your time. Worry about your own stuff and, and be invested in what you're doing. Who cares what somebody else says or tries to get involved in it? Just ignore those folks, the naysayers. If I listened to what other people would say or what I should or shouldn't do, I would have never been reselling full time. I'd be working some awful job at some restaurant as a general manager regional, probably wishing I blew a toe off so I wouldn't have to come in to work. Because it gets to that point. um, I could tell you horror stories working in restaurants. I mean, literally, some really awful situations.
0: Yeah, that's great. I appreciate
2: that.
1: No, that's, that's super inspiring. Advice. I mean, that is one of the perks of being a full-time reseller. Like, you really don't have to worry what other people yeah. think, but it does get tough, especially when you're in the YouTube world and so on. You hear comments here, but yeah, ultimately, you got to focus on your own business. So that's great. Thank you, Don. So, my last question here: There's a lot. There's a lot. A lot that's been going on. I mean, that's an understatement in this year of 2020. One of the, one of them, even right now in these current weeks with the election, you know, we can go down a rabbit hole with all that, but e-commerce has boomed. I At least in my, and now I've only been reselling for 10 years, but I've never seen it at the level it's been right now. Like if I feel not not right now right now, like I think it's gonna get like that again in a couple weeks. but you know, from March until probably July or even August, it was incredible. Now do you here's my question. where do you see reselling in the coming year? Do you believe it to continue to grow? Do you believe it's just a temporary thing? What are your thoughts about reselling in the future?
2: Well, uh, this might be uh, take a few moments. I, I look into this. I follow like Wall Street Journal and all that kind of stuff. So I do look into this from more so than just this this aspect that people look at. Is eBay going to do good? Right now is is the best time right this year because of this stuff happening. The only drawback that I see going forward that's going to possibly curtail some of this is now corporate America has had their feet wet with reselling right now. It's the biggest time for them. They've they've taken notice is, is my honest concern. And I look at the Vero pages. When I first started on eBay, they had one little tiny page of Vero's. Now it's every letter of the alphabet and there's hundreds of ones in each one. Corporate America knows what's going on. There's been articles on Wall Street Journal about reselling and we're going to have an onslaught in the next couple of years, especially with uh, internet taxes and sales tax collect. Biggest concern, once Wall Street and corporate America get into one of these categories, they start knocking off the little people is what I usually see. Like when Walmart moves into town, it's going to be the basic same principle is, is my, my biggest concern. Now, it doesn't mean reselling is going to go away or anything, but the overall structure, I think, is going to be more limited, and it's going to have a lot more people frustrated, where they won't want to deal with it. We have a big influx of new resellers right now, obviously, ones that don't know what they're doing, ones that are just trying to get some bucks to pay their bills, which is perfectly one hundred percent understandable for everybody. I'd be happy to help anybody to do that, but it's it's going to be there's going to be a watershed moment where this comes crashing for a lot of those folk when you know, real jobs start coming back in and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's going to be part of of a drawback for this that could hurt it. Uh, Overall, reselling is not going to go away. But like up here, Savers shut down. Every Savers is done, down. Uh, Two other thrift stores have shut down. If they're not able to make the money, you're only going to be left with a couple thrift stores around in most towns. Garage sales would be your your last resort. And more of these people who are doing garage sales – have now realized that some of those garage sale materials can sell online for more. So it could limit to some infor- or some items you're going to find out in the real world. And, and as I've said, going and driving around randomly is not a way to successfully grow a business because you can't guarantee enough revenue or, or items coming in to make enough revenue to have a steady income. For some people. Again, around here, I'd be dead if I had to do clothing. There's just, there would be no way I would have survived. Books, again, no way I'd survive because my main sources are done, savers and things like that. So when I I hear people tell me, you know, left and right that this store is closed down, that store is closed down. So I really think it's going to be, even if it does open up next year, there's going to be so many new people trying to do it that there's going to be so much competition that it could collapse for a lot of people who aren't established, you know, I'm not saying dire need and end of the world, world's dropping off, but it's going to eliminate a lot of those who aren't go getters or don't have the motivation or a drive is my concern for those who need the revenue coming in. It's not going to be as accessible, like with Amazon closing down categories, you know, if if that continues and there's going to be a day of reckoning for Poshmark. There's going to be a day of reckoning for Macari because eventually they're going to have to step up and issue similar guidelines, policies, return policies, refund policies as all the other sites to be competitive. It's just it's, it's it's a fact because every site has gone that same route. Has anybody got the new eBay page yet? Have you got what is, is do you have a big blue strip on the top of your eBay page?
1: I you know what? I don't I don't think I do yet. So.
2: I opened my eBay page two or three days ago, and I thought I was on Amazon. If and if I I did a, a screen by screen, they now have a blue strip that looks identical to Amazon in the top of every eBay page on the entire site on my pages, and it if, if you it's it, I was literally thought I was on Amazon. Oh, I wow. thought I clicked the wrong button. That's how close. I don't know if yours all looks like that, whether it's a slow roll rollout or not, but it's not something I set up or did anything with. The entire hmm. bar just on eBay is dark blue, just like Amazon.
1: Wow, no, I don't have that. yet. I just looked it up right now. I don't have it yet.
2: Well, I'll, you, did you? I'll, I'll post a picture on Instagram tomorrow because I bet nobody saw it yet. I guess hmm. maybe I'm a. I'm because we do that um, survey thing where we're in that like test uh, group uh-huh, or something. Yep, yep.
1: Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. No, we don't. Ha- we don't have that yet. So
2: you saw an example of it. No, no, no. But I,
1: I understand what, where you're going okay. with it. I just haven't. Yeah, eBay doesn't have that yet, though. So. Yeah, but you know, I but let hopefully hopefully Don eBay is not trying to go the way of Amazon, right? I, I think that's changing. Well,
2: unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately the whole structure with the item specifics just prove it because two years ago this has been their plan from when they when they cut off the watermarks, that was their their move to move towards Amazon in my book, as well mm. as the the product catalog. I mean, they've, they've the, the, the look of the page is Amazon. I mean, Walmart, I'm on Walmart. Walmart's the same thing, Target, same thing. All of the other platforms are gearing towards Amazon. That's the problem here because again, Vero's never existed. You know, this is something that Amazon kind of was like the ruler in that field. Hmm. I, I, and we've even heard rumors about Amazon. What if Amazon bought eBay? That was on Wall Street Journal for crying out loud. You know, <laughs> they've that. got the money, the ability to do that. That's why it was a little scary to, to, to see my eBay page look just like Amazon. I, I, again, I'll have to post a picture of it, but, you know, that's why I say I almost thought, you know, what did, you know, Amazon buy eBay was my next step. Mm. You know, is something going on that I'm uh, unaware of because that could still be going around behind the scenes and we wouldn't know it. Uh, you can see the progression. Every site's done this. Every, Etsy's moved their way. They use Aiden as well, just like eBay. You know, Walmart is just a mimic of Amazon eBay, the same thing. They're giving you photos you can use. They're giving you descriptions. All that stuff's just literally only out there because of Amazon. Again, I'm not saying eBay's wrong for doing that. I still love the site itself, but that's where everything's going to eventually go. It's going to be universally accepted policies. Amazon sets the standard for everything. The photo standard I use is Amazon's for every single site I'm on. You know, my return policy, basically the same thing Amazon allows. Everything that I gear my business towards, whether it's eBay or not, I steer it so it'll fit on Amazon. If I'm going to do a listing, it's got to be able to go on Amazon at some point if that's what I want to do. So uh, the standard for us and most people that I know that do a ton of volume is to make your listing safe for Amazon. I don't care what platform you're on. And that's why I say these other sites, if they want to continue and get APIs with, you know, Shopify. So they're listing some Poshmark and go to Amazon or eBay. They're going to have to follow suit. There's just no way around it you hook up an API for Poshmark in Shopify, your rules in Shopify are pretty much what eBay's rules are. You can't sell similar items. They have the similar processing for funds and the whole work. So whatever route you go, if you want to keep up with the big boys, you're going to have to mimic what those big boys do for Mm -hmm. them to accept your API so you can be competitive in some way, shape, or form. That It's the wild west still in my book for reselling in general. Really, And the smaller sites... It it is, and those smaller sites are eventually going to have to step up if they want to continue and grow. It's easy to get from five million to say 25 million, but to get where eBay's at, they're going to have to do some major steps. They're going to have to build that trust for those older folks who are are nervous on a three-day or you don't get your money back kind of deal. You know what I mean?
1: Uh, no. Basically, what I'm hearing is reselling is still something that's going to be completely viable. You just have to be able to adapt. And adaption is going to be the key. And you know, the, I get a lot of pushback about returns. I get a lot of pushback about you know doing eBay policies and what eBay asks. But yeah, it is. If it's industry standard, it seems like everybody's going to go that direction. It's just you know, do you want to jump in early and get those sales? So, wow, I appreciate it, Don. That that was <laughs> that was pretty insightful. I mean, it was real. I mean, it was. I think it's hard for some of us to hear, but I think it's it's what we needed to hear. So. Grateful for that. You
2: have- I've been doing this for a long time. I've seen changes from day one, and it, it's not going to stop. I can. It's, it's it's expectable. It's predictable the way it's going just from the last 10 years when this kind of stuff has happened, when the, the rates of people online purchasing, when Christmas purchase online rates have gone up and things like that. So you can almost set your clock to the percentage. Like two years ago, the amount of people ordering from a uh, phone app was like, 24%. It's now 30% just in two years. So, you know, that's a 3% increase every year, year over last, year over last. And if that continues a few more years, it's going to probably grow even farther after this year because of the pandemic. So you might be talking about 40% people from their phones. Again, this is going to be another market. This If those who aren't willing to branch off onto the phone apps and things like that could be losing as well too. So It's an ever-changing world as a reseller, and if those folks that are going to do the same thing they did 15 years ago and think they're going to succeed, or they're still doing the same things they were doing 15 years ago and wondering why their sales are down, they're not keeping up with the market. The market trends. Items sometimes will crash for a few years, five or ten years. There won't be collectors. They want to spend the money, but it kind of goes in a circle. It'll come back. Just like comic books crashed. Baseball cards crashed after the, the comic ball series with Nolan Ryan and Warner Brothers characters. That's when they dumped all those upper decks on the market, in like 92, 93, somewhere in that range. And, and they've been back now. They've added more value. And most categories seem to do that, too.
0: Uh, no, that's great. I think I've think i think, uh, I've learned quite a bit from this, uh, from this interview. One of the things I'm kind of excited about is uh, there's a few niches that I'm I'm into that I'm, I'm kind of dabble in and I think I've learned or, or kind of been inspired to really focus in and get really good at a few of those. Cause that's where, that's where the ability to scale and, and not just be randomly hunting for random stuff, but you know what you're going after, you know, market, you can get those return buyers. So uh, I know some of our listeners probably feel the same. So Don, we're so happy to have had you on. Um, we're, sometime in the future maybe uh, maybe next year this time we could have you on again and kind of see uh, how your predictions were on uh, the the state of reselling and how things are going and uh, we can continue to learn from you so we really appreciate yeah, it.
1: yeah I am so great. I learned so much you know you, you always you always are learning and reselling there's there's never a day that I'm not learning something. Sometimes the smallest today I learned a lot and uh, I really appreciate you taking the time, Don. I know you don't do a lot of interviews and I know that you're a busy person. So coming into our podcast meant a lot, especially for our 200th episode. Yeah. So we're grateful for that. So Don, where can people find you again real quick before we say bye?
2: The auction professor on YouTube, the auction professor, pretty much everywhere. Patreon, Twitter, uh, Facebook business page, Facebook uh, group. Um, And that's about it, I guess Alright,
1: well hey, thanks so much for being on And everyone, I, I, this is something I'm probably going to listen to twice So do the same, learn the ton Continue to follow The Auction Professor, and with that being said Make sure to be real, be relevant, and be reselling Please. Peace.